How do you heal from a broken premarital relationship without wishing that person evil? So, I'll rephrase it. How do we heal from a broken premarital relationship without wishing the other party evil? Um, except you want to say that you were perfect in the relationship. I'm sure if um, you were the one who was the evil person or the person who should be called evil except for God, how you deal with it as a Christian is that you forgive and you think about the fact that there was something that drew you to the person in the first place. And if all that you have to make reference to about that person after the breakup is how evil the person was, then it says a lot more about you than that person. So how do you heal? You look to Christ. That's always the standard. You look to Christ, his example, and how much sinful we are and how faithful he is, and the fact that moving to the next, because we didn't just break up, you didn't just break up without um, lessons to learn and pointers to take. So it takes time, but it makes it faster when you um, look to Christ, his word, as he helps you forgive. Because when you forgive, you are able to look rightly and get back to that position of the disposition of seeking the ultimate good of such person. I mean, how do we not wish some leaders bad or call them evil? How do we pray rightly for them when we come together to pray? I believe that we can take that same approach to the one who hurts us. I mean, we have people even beyond um, um, relationships siblings, parents that did us evil is always forgive. But we know that it is only when we um, look to Christ and let his word help us through the way, depending on him to help us, that we're able to heal from such um, relationship. Yeah. Thank you. So the bottom line is? And the bottom line is that the person should love our enemies. Even if that person is evil, Rightly so. Jesus said, love your enemy, pray for them. Say, pray for those who hurt you, who, dis who use you. He used that word, who use you. There are some relationships that uh, the other person just used, particularly Abuja, some, some, Abuja, some Abuja type of relationship. Some guy will even move into a lady's house and eat, and eat everything. Even their money, their car, finish the lady, and then, and a month later, you are seeing their wedding picture. Some even take a lady's money and spend on their wife to, to be. And you, you didn't know. Let it go. Forgive. It is bad. It is hurtful. But you must look to Christ. Forgive yourself. Forgive that person. And also learn how are you a child of God got yourself into a relationship when you can be so used? You speak to the fact that you are not 
you are not being led by the Holy Spirit. You are not, you don't understand what it means, those who are led by the Holy Spirit. Of course, we, we do mistakes. So forgive yourself, forgive the person, and learn. And going forward, I I must I mean I'm, I'm if 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 you are dating a guy, why should he come and be eating? To even start with. I have I have one girl, see you are dating this guy. Don't borrow him money. Don't come and tell me after the guy broke up and say he's owing me 1.2 million. Or my car is in his custody. I'm gonna be able to retrieve your car from his hand. Keep it keep it the way, keep it decent until we end up at the altar. Well, yeah, uh, forgiveness. All right. So the bottom line is we should look to Christ for forgiveness, to be able to forgive. And we must add, forgiveness from Christ is not, it's not an admonition. It was a command. So as Christians, no matter how hard it might be, God has provided sufficient grace for it. So the next question, directed to Eliezer. How can one reconcile the criteria of personal choice in terms of physical appearances against the godly spouse we know we would need? So I think the person is saying uh, physical appearance, what he personally likes, against a godly spouse that he knows he would need. So I'll read the question again. How can one reconcile the criteria of personal choice in terms of physical appearance against the godly spouse we know we would need? Uh, to find a person that is beautiful, that is godly. Because the, the problem, that, the thing I'm, I'm hearing is you're trying to draw a dichotomy and say this one is beautiful, but it's not godly. But the one that is godly is not beautiful. So find the one that is godly and beautiful. And there are ladies like that. That's how to reconcile it. Yes, that is true. This is not laughing matter. People think beautiful girls are not godly. Because once a lady is beautiful, all kinds of men are, are throwing stones at them. And if you've been around church for a while, you also discover that a lot of girls that are not very, what they call beautiful, marry faster than the, because the beautiful one, men are wasting their time. And they, they foolishly think that they are, they are in the market. And uh, so, yeah, look for, but um, I will have issue, Eliza. Do I say beauty? I, beauty is a uh, work from inside. Work from inside out. If you work from outside in, you will not get it. Work from inside out. There's something that the eye of the spirit can see that carnal eyes can never see. The carnal eyes is adulterous at its best. You look at the shape, the contours, everything are your considerations. Spirituality become like an icing for you. You won't get it. You won't get it. Work from inside out. And in my own experience, eh, no woman is ugly. What you call ugly in Nigeria, eh? no woman is ugly. Put money inside woman and see. Even if you sell granite, put money inside, invest and see. And see, before you know, they'll start dragging the same ugly woman. Some brothers start dragging the, the same woman with you. Yeah. Walk from inside out. 
And um, just like I was uh, making reference to, we are not saying that there is, because it takes, it, it is relative to all of us. Whatever you think um, moves you towards someone, it might not just even be beauty. You just said physical appearance. Some people, they call themselves appeal, sexual, right? They are, they are attracted to those who are intelligent and all that. So various factors, if we have to go by that, we won't leave this place. But the standard here is that which makes you now make your decision should not be premised on that which is without, but that which is within as Christians. And where we make that decision, we know that it is based on fundamental issues, not whether the person is fair or dark or tall and all that. And that's it. All right. So a follow-up question to, to that. This anyone of the, any member of the panel can answer. So for how long do you forgive your partner before it's right for you to walk away? That's one. And two, how do you know the right partner? So how long do you forgive your partner before you know it's right to walk away? I, I think, I think, yeah, exactly. So I, 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 don't, I want to believe the partner here is, is relationship and not, and not marriage. So That's another word, partner. That's another word, partner. Another unbiblical word, my, my partner. Yes, um, trying to answer the first part of it. Forgive and yes. walk away. See, you should forgive normally. So it shouldn't even necessarily be about the basis. Sometimes you are forgiving and you have to walk away. It depends. Now, if you are living in sin continually, there's no repentance, there's no whatever and everything, and you know that this direction, the basis of this relationship is not premised on God. It's not until when you further burn yourself and burn, 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 and when you have burnt, then you now walk away. So don't um, join forgive. How long do you forgive? Because I, I, I might be wrong, but I feel the question is coming from a place of how do you, since we are talking about covenant relationship, so you'll be faithful to the end, what you started. So maybe there are no context. So when do you know that you're moving? Or maybe there's someone who is offending the other in the relationship. And so how do you endure, endure? On, when, does, when does it get to that point where you say, I'm done? The point is, just like I think my wife was saying, Godly counsel from people, from godly people, from the Bible, I also, assumptively, as a Christian, you are being led by the Spirit. Anything that you know is fundamental that must be addressed and is not being addressed, you don't have to wait for five years. And my question is, how did you even start that in the first place? The idea of forgiveness and moving on is is such that it should be a real occurrence. It should not be something that, ah, that, ah, forgive and move, or how do you hold on and everything. That kind of question should be in the context of in the marriage where we say endure, right? But in relationship, it should not be that occurrence. We are all geared towards, okay, this is a relationship towards marriage. So to, that's why the person has a follow-up question. So how do you know the right partner? Yeah, you know, that's before... Where, um, <laughs> before to, to, to also buttress your point. When we were studying God, we said 
God does not regret because he has all the knowledge. You see, this person does not have... Let us, let us know. We don't have future knowledge about this person. That All we are seeing right now is what we can see. A human that is subject to change. So let's put that in our, in our thought process as we answer. Okay. Um, the truth is this. And Pastor can probably correct me. All right. See, as a man, I don't know if the lady that asked, so, but as a man, you have proposed, and when I mean proposed, like a relationship, right? To a lady. And she's, whatever, whatever is happening, you are committed to it, though. So how do you know the right person? No, no, oh, no, I'm, I'm even talking about that forgiveness because you was trying to buttress what I said, as in to give more this thing. So how to know the right person? First, godly counsel. Second, that's a really wide question. It's a really wide question. Be led by the Spirit. And when I mean led by the Spirit, I don't mean something mystical. First, is the person a Christian? Does he love God? Does she love God? Does she love people? Does she hate sin? Is she towards that direction? She or he, that, that direction, that committed life towards God and towards people, and in your own peculiar reality, how do you, what do you, what, what, um, what do you say from your own assessment? You are the one that will make that decision ultimately, but there are fundamental things that must be addressed or settled before you narrow down to someone. And at the end of the day, it is just one person here. So how do you know the right person? The person that you have gotten to that point whereby you want to commit yourself to that person. That's the person. After I have gone through the process that we have been talking left and right, and you have said this is the person you want to narrow down to, that's the person. And how, when you get married, just as um, John Piper said, how do you know you marry the right person? When you check the marriage certificate. Okay, so pastor, how would you? You never come. You are not going to say that that it will happen. It because we are falling there. Even on my wedding day, I had doubts. I was praying in the bathroom on my wedding day. I said, God, are you sure? Are you sure I'm doing the right thing? I was still praying until once I get into the church. That's when I knew. Say, God, if it be make accident happen between uh, Carol and my dad, let accident, let something just happen. I was so sincere in my heart. You cannot be too sure. And I'm 12 years in marriage now. I'm, see, I'm learning, to, I see, I'm knowing my wife as if, as if I knew her yesterday. So if your eyes are on the externals, if you are so selfish, if you think that the whole world re revolves, you are the sun, that everything orbits around. You must be served. You are the king of uh, king of the jungle. You 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 don't get it. You don't get it. Right. Thank you. So bottom line is be led by the spirit yes. and trust God. That God knows what He's doing. How would you advise? This is directed to Pastor. How would you advise 
a boy or a girl, man or a woman, is searching for a godly spouse. Like, in context, what Christian activity do you think? What Christian activity do you think uh, believers can partake in? <laughs> yes, normally you meet people at oh, the bar. Oh, you know, uh, fishing pond. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's to get like a premarital relationship. Where where will you go to to source for source for? Uh, yes, no. You know, recently that has been an issue. Eh? Sometimes some people tell you go to that church. There are a lot of sisters there. And then you listen to them. Yeah. And then you now appear in it on a Sunday morning. And then as the someone is going on, your eyes are rolling. And then you are looking. You are, how can you be, how can you just migrate from this church to this church just to go and look for your wife? And you, and you can be led by the spirit. You'll be, you'll be more confused. Because there will be 10 sisters. Uh, how are you going to, and then I'm greet you. Oh, hi, hello, hello. And then you are so plastic. Yeah? Well, the first thing is that whatever God has placed you in a local assembly, serve him. Serve him faithfully. Be, be a genuine person. But if your idea is that I'm going to this church, I'm out for looking for husband. I'm out looking for wife. You won't see. Trust me. You'll be confused. Just, just be normal. Just be normal. If, you're, if, if God will need to bring a wife from U.S. to this church for you to marry, he will do so in his own, and he has happened several times. All of a sudden, I've been in a situation, a lady told me that in their church, there's only one guy that's eligible to marry, and there are about 13 sisters that are eligible. And she was so distressed that, see, I really want to marry, but there are no men in our church. What am I supposed to do? I said, pray to God. He said, if God will need to manufacture men, he will manufacture them from anywhere and bring them to you. And it happened that she took my counsel and my prayer seriously. I said, well, that eligible bachelor, that only one, that only one, that 13, one, one to 13, could be us, if God wills. And after a year, that was what happened. She was 28, the guy was 20, 24. And the guy proposed, and they're happily married now, and they are serving the Lord. So God will do, if you serve him faithfully, you are just normal, you are not pleasured, all these things, God will find you a man. God will find you a, a woman. Don't need, to, don't need to do all this, become so fake, you know? You, you are jumping, you are looking for a wife, you are moving from church to church. How, Satan will even plan sisters. Satan will start helping you with uh, sisters, and then you will marry so just stay where God has placed you and serve him faithfully. He will, it will come. And if he did not come, praise God. Praise God. Nothing spoiled. Uh, if, I can, if I can also add something to that. Um, this was also partially what we considered in the first session. And it is the kind of disposition a single man or woman should have. It's not the disposition of marriage is the only thing in the world that will make me complete. So as a single person in Christ, you are complete. Which means that all that you have, you need for life and godliness, God has given to you. So your obsession every day should be the Lord. 
Now that there's nobody, not obsession to be with somebody. Your obsession on a daily basis, you wake up in the morning, how can I serve God? When you get married, how can I serve my wife and my children? But primarily, how can I serve God? And then be obsessed with God, like be crazy about God. Go to all the lengths to serve God. And then pray to God. I think one of the things, again, that um, we, we sometimes miss is the thing in looking for a place is that uh, this thing can be mechanically gotten. Pray to God. Like Pastor said, prayer works for real. Just pray to God. Be busy with the work of God. Be busy with God and pray to God. And that person will come. And then this is where we now have our knowledge of God's wisdom. That if the person has not come, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Whatever I need, God is providing for me. Now, based on my own perception, maybe I need a spouse. But based on God's own timing and his own wisdom, for you, his child, he's not sleeping on your matter. Trust him and pray to him. And that, that spouse will come in good time. And I'll add by saying, don't be too proud. Sometimes you really want, you, are, you know, that's like a burden on your heart to find a spouse. But you mask it with bold face. And you are, I don't know how they call it in psychology. Is it reverse psychology? psychology. It makes you look like you don't care. Yeah. I don't need the mind in my life. I'm complete. But inside of your heart, all, what you ought to say is that, oh God, help me. Eh? Uh, carry me the go. <laughs> <laughs> you ought to be singing, carry me the go. And, and again, it's not, I, I don't support matchmaking. But, if you are truly and functionally within the community of believers, it's not wrong to act digi, but digi. I'm actually in need. And my makeup, there are some men that don't even, they don't even know how to approach a, a lady, the way they were raised. I was in that category. I, there must be a going between all the time. And Deji could say, hmm, there's this godly sister I know. It's in Lagos. And then things can start from there. And I can mention to all of you, without doubt, it has happened in my own hands again and again and again. I don't do much making. But the person mentioned, and you could point to that direction, say, okay, that one, mm, put your hook. And it works. So don't be ashamed. Uh, don't, matchmaking is not a bad thing in and of itself. It, matchmaking has worked, and it's still working. Uh, just not, not okay. Direct, pointing direction has work, <laughs> and it's still working. Okay, I don't do much making, but it's, you can say, look at that direction, look at that sister, look at that brother. I think it's godly, but I know that. Don't be proud. I mean, when God gave um, Adam work, he was preoccupied, he was faithful, or he was to be focused on the work. And it was God in His own time that He also brought. He said, "It's not good for man to be alone," and brought Eve. So we should be faithful with what God has given unto us while we are also prayerfully seeking for that which we desire. Thank, thank you. So bottom line is don't, don't go bowling with the intention to find a wife. Go bowling because you want to go bowling. So there's no activity. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So... This one is directed to Eliezer. I'm directing it to you. Is avoiding fornication reason enough as a Christian to want to get married? No, not that it's not a reason, it's a reason. But is it reason enough to want to get married? Okay. 
let me approach the, the question from this perspective. Marriage is more than sex. So that when God was designing marriage, it was not sex was not the primary thing that God created marriage. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. But he said this is the primary purpose for a thing. That's not what marriage is for. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle says that to flee sexual immorality is a legitimate reason to seek marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, he opens the picture much wider that the main thing that marriage is meant to showcase to us or marriage being a picture of is of Christ and his church. And then when you elevate marriage to that level, is the relationship between Christ and the church merely about sex? I don't know if you are following my logic. I'm saying that look at the main thing. This is the main thing marriage is supposed to show. And this is the main thing marriage is supposed to be an image of. Nonetheless, fleeing sexual immorality is a legitimate reason to seek marriage. And the apostle does that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So a man who is fleeing fornication, a woman who is fleeing fornication, the advice to give the person is not to pray harder, it's to seek a godly spouse, biblically speaking. So if a man comes and says, I am feeling this way, the advice should be, seek a godly spouse. I hope that, that whole logic I'm doing makes sense. But so that we'll not be thinking, the, the challenge now is to think that, oh, something as magnificent as marriage is merely for sex. No. But the Bible says, if a man cannot, it's better to be married than to burn. And because of sexual immorality, let every man and every woman have their own spouse. Particularly, that advice is strong for those who are, who have not, who are not having sex. And then they are going through this phase of temptation in their life. Because there's a difference between fleeing fornication and get married than somebody who is actively sleeping around, thinking that he has not yet repented of, uh, of his sin, and thinking that once I get married, it will cut me off from uh, my lifestyle. So these are two different. It will, marriage will not cure fornication. But for those who, have not yet, who are not yet inside that cycle, that advice is stronger for you. Of course, if, even those who are already there who are repenting, we say, okay, now that you are repenting, if I already tasted the forbidden fruit, quickly, 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 quickly arrange so we can move you on in a godly way. And sex, you know, Eliezer is not married. Sex is, is a big deal. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it is, it, is, it is a big deal. I don't want to say more than that. It is, it is serious. Yeah? Okay. It is a very, very serious thing. So it's a legitimate reason. To oh, goodness. It's a legitimate it's sex. It's, it's a legitimate reason. It's reason enough. Yes. Apostle Paul himself. I mean, what was he for? To help collect the grapes? Okay, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to add this. See, marriage, sometimes I, I, I if you get married or desiring to marry because of avoiding, for the sake of avoiding sexual immorality. Because there are some people who have actually mastered some of these things we've said. Love, commitment, faithfulness. And they want to be able to still continually serve God without distraction. And they get married. 
because they know that so now if there's any sense of sexual urge they have the legitimate reason or legitimate grounds to be able to have sex and they are like so that i can focus on other things they are not women women kind of persons so they said ah, since i don't i don't have clearly i don't have the gift of celibacy i want to get married and so that i can know that i can pour out all the expressions of whatever towards this person and i am legitimately doing it so yes it's a valid girl i mean all the great men of god that you love that i know some at the personal level that sense that god was calling i wish i knew that earlier that sense that god was calling to ministry make that decision quickly quickly and it's very very important very very important if you know you don't have the gift of celibacy, don't, marry, don't make marriage like one of the things that come to your mind once in a while. Incorporate it in all your planning, integrate it into your planning. As you are schooling, as you are doing your thing, it's at the center of it. Okay, which pushes us to our next question. It's thrown open. I had two questions, but I'll merge them because they are basically follow-up. So how do you know God's will concerning your life in the aspect of being celibate. So, second one is, are there signs, like physical signs in your body that will make you know that, okay, I have the gift of celibacy or God is calling me to be celibate? Or do you just decide? Okay, let me, let me start by saying, um, not even that, is, is that, Celibacy is the exception, not the norm. That's the first thing. The norm, you can find it in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. It is not good for man to be alone. That's the norm. A man should have his own wife. That's the norm. That's, that's, all, that's all you will see in 95 to 98% of Christian men and women. Celibacy is the exception. Secondly, when Paul begins to uh, write in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, one of the things that we might actually be tempted to think, and partially so, I, I mean, we'll be partially correct to think that, is that Paul was encouraging celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7. That he was encouraging people not to marry. And the reason why he was doing that, one of the reasons why he was doing that, he said, because of the present distress. So there are times when it is not, it's not even sensible to marry. There are times when it's not even sensible. For example, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He was never in one place. He was constantly roaming about, roaming about. Though the kind of ministry God even gave to him, he was using it as, look at the persecution the early church faced. So sometimes it is sensible not to marry. But that, that's always the exception. How many times will that kind of thing happen? How many times do you say it's going to happen? That's always the exception. So the main thing, first of all, is that every young man who is going into maturity in Christ will always look for a spouse. That's the natural disposition that young men and women should pursue. However, thirdly, providence can be something that will lead us to know if we are celibate, if we are called to celibacy or not. And I don't know if I'm mixing these two missionaries, Amika Merkel or Lotimun. One actually tried to get married. It didn't work out. And her devotion to the Lord was such that she had set her mind to be a missionary. And she went out and did the missionary work without getting married. 
So providentially, it was as though God was stopping that marriage, ensuring that she did not get married so that she would serve God. But how many people are like that? Again, 95 to 98% of the people will fall in the normal category. 1 to 2% will be celibates. So before you even start thinking, am I celibate? The first thing in your mind should be, should, I should start thinking of marriage first before you're not thinking of the exception. So those are three considerations. I'll drop. As regards to physical signs, no. Being on uh, impotency is not calling into celibacy. If a man is impotent biologically, what that means is that the man cannot maintain erection from childbirth. That does not make him I'm, I'm looking forward. That does not mean he has been called to serve God. <laughs> yes, because there are non-Christians who have that situation. Okay? And there are many people that are in that category who are sinful in many other areas. Who are into 419, who are into all kinds of dubious life because they are not Christian. So don't think because you cannot maintain an erection, therefore God is calling me to serve him. If you are not holy, in and of yourself. If, if, if God has not walked upon your life to be his servant, don't use impotency as a... So those who, who God called into this vocation have feelings. Have feelings. It's just that God has given them great grace of self-restraint uh, self and control that that is not, cannot, cannot bring them down. Yeah. I mean, that is where it, it, it makes sense that I have feelings and I have desire but the Lord have refrained me from doing this and I cooperate with God with my desire. So if that is your will, I give myself to this work. I don't want to marry. Yeah. With even the hard feelings. And I'm not cheating behind like, like some of our priests will do. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm married to Jesus, but we are doing some stuff with, with nuns. That is cheating. Um, maybe if I if I would just add to this, um, I want to use a practical example. I think it's Andy Nacelli. If I'm wrong, correct me. Those of you who know the person I'm talking about, who used to be homosexual before he got saved. Now he's now a Christian, and in we know the only kind of marriage that is recognized by the Bible is the marriage between a man and a woman. So what does he do? He celibates. So on a daily basis, he's trusting God for strength. I don't want to use he's a, Christ, he's a gay Christian, but he's a celibate man. All his life he has been attracted to men and even practiced, but now he's saved. And as he's saved, he, there's no... The, the feeling, of course, that he's battling is even from the feeling that some of us will be battling. And so what does he decide to do? Trust God and be celibate. The solution for his case, some of us might say, give him a wife. After all, give him a wife. Then we are, it might not be maybe because we don't really understand his struggle. Here's a man who really wants to serve God. And after godly counsel and thinking and praying, the best way is to be celibate. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. That some choose, they are not made eunuchs. Some decide to be eunuchs because of the sake of the kingdom. So there's also that part of, I know it's a gift, it's a calling of a man. The same way a man says, I want to be a pastor. Even God is calling him, and I want to be expressing desire. Paul said, uh, if a man desires to be an elder, it's an honorable thing. A man and a woman, because you want to serve God, you can actually decide to be celibate. Of course, but then you know that God has given you extraordinary gifts, like Pastor was saying. I just wanted to add that. That is not something you just 
you can actually decide to. There's an extreme level of devotion to God. I can list countless people in church history. Some of us know of this missionary who, uh, men, especially missionaries, most of the people in my head are missionaries anyways, who, because they wanted to serve God, God granted them the grace and they stayed single all their lives just to serve. All right. So, no? Final question. Okay. And directed to you, Pastor. I lost my dad at age nine and 10 years down the line. I still have this unannounced fear about marrying and losing his spouse. I don't know what to do about this. I think that is a, a pastoral issue. Pastoral issue. Uh, you, see, you see a pastor privately, and then we can. But there are many other things that, <laughs> that are, are linked to that uh, phobia that need to be on earth. And, uh, but let me just generally. Yeah, I, I grew up in a family where love was, I've, I've never seen my dad and mom sitting down together like this. And I used to wonder, how did they get pregnant? I mean, I've never seen them like sitting down together like this. I know how village people, they live in the rural area. In the rural area, it's not right for a man and a husband to stay in the same, uh, in the same house. So the man's house is there, and the woman's house is, uh, is there. Only God knows how they make babies, okay? But what I saw, I said I will never marry. I told myself I will not marry. So I, I fear marriage for a larger part of my life. And there are many of you that have been in an abusive family where you think you have negative view of marriage. That does not distract from the fact that marriage is beautiful and uh, you, you, can, you can enjoy marriage and uh, all that. So you see a pastor who talk about that. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's true, it's true. Uh, even people that see babies die fear that their own babies also will, uh, will die, that, that kind of uh, stuff. So yeah, it can be handled at, at the counseling level by the grace of God. <laughs>